RingCentral are the leading cloud communications and collaboration solution for today's workforce. RingCentral integrates your team messaging, video meetings and business phone into one application so your team can do more together from anywhere. For a free trial, visit ringcentral.com.au. RingCentral, communications reimagined. Welcome to the Employees Matter podcast, where we bring you the latest information to help business owners, entrepreneurs and managers manage their team through COVID-19 and beyond. Listen in as we share leading edge information with experts across a variety of fields, from HR to legal, to negotiation, to mental health, and so much more to help you not just survive, but thrive through the pandemic. And now here's your host, Natasha Hawker. In this episode, we are thrilled to have as our guest, Emma Walsh. Emma is the founder and CEO of Parents at Work, a social enterprise supporting both parents and organisations to better manage the challenges that employees face when juggling work and family life. Emma is a passionate campaigner for improving parental leave and flexible work rights for working parents. She also makes significant contributions to the development of aspiring female leaders through her leadership programs. We get a glimpse into the future of work, and I know that you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So as most of you don't know, Employee Matters started as a remote business 10 years ago and has remained so. So I've worked from home when it was just barely possible with a dial-up in 2002. So now I am actually showing my age. So today I'm thrilled to have as our next guest, Emma Walsh, who has been a pioneer in supporting parents to successfully return to work and to help organisations develop family-friendly packages. Welcome, Emma. Thanks, Natasha. Great to be here with you. It's so good. We don't catch up enough and I have to have a podcast for us to catch up. This is how busy we are. Well, look, I am super excited to have you on the Employees Matter podcast because a huge proportion of the population, both men and women, have grappled with the challenge of balancing family and work. Personally, for me, I had three kids in three years and no twins. And back then, I decided that it wasn't actually possible or viable for me to continue with my corporate consulting career and raise our family in the way that we wanted to. And as I said, Emma has been a trailblazer in this space. So I'm really keen to learn from her what has happened around this space as a result of COVID. So let's kick off with our first question. So for those listeners who don't know you, can you please tell us how you ended up where you are today? Oh, what what a big question. (laughs) Well, I think like most people, how you get to where you get here, whatever here means, frankly, but usually there is such a rich story because life is just so full of twists and turns, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you know, in my experience, it never, ever goes according to how you imagined or even how you planned it, um, for those of us that like to do that. Um, I think for so many of us, our career just happens to mm-hmm. us. And then, you know, one day, you know, we find ourselves asking that question, how did I get here and where am I going? And for some people that happens kind of later in their life and for others, you know, they search for that sense of meaning, um, I think, earlier. And for me, it did happen earlier in my career. And and for me, I was in my late 20s and I was starting to notice all these talented females around me, colleagues and leaders above me, um, leave the workplace that I was working in at the time. And they either didn't return to the workforce or they did in a lesser capacity. Um, They were often sidelined by their leaders because they wanted to work part-time. And the standard was really to come back two or three days a week. And I know this because I actually happened to work in the HR team. Mm -hmm. So I saw it come across my desk. Um, I saw the requests and was often called in to be part of the negotiating team around how we were going to manage them out Mm -hmm. uh, if they didn't come back full-time. And that just did not sit well with me. And I guess it it struck me, well, you know, what's going to happen when I start my family? Because Mm. I was super passionate about my career. I loved HR. You know, I really did have that plan of, oh, one day, hopefully I'm an HR director. Um, But I I guess by late 20s, as I looked into my 30s and thinking about starting a family, I thought, no, this isn't going to be my story. I I don't see this working for me um, the current way. So... Um, probably like you, I went, right, 
if this is going to work, I think I'll have to start my own business. That'll be easy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or not, as the case may be. Um, but in those beautiful early naive years, I thought, no, no, the best way for me to continue doing work I love, but actually have flexibility was to start my own business. And that was 15 years ago. And wow. Facebook, um, that wasn't an easy call to make, but I thought, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can, I can go back, I guess. Um, but it was very much about uh, thinking about how I could maintain and build and leverage an interesting career still, but not at the sacrifice of family. And so I stepped out and I started my HR consulting practice um, and then soon after, as I fell pregnant with twins, I thought, oh, <laughs> oh, over I, and done with. <laughs> exactly. I thought, oh, oh, I'm kind of meant to do this work, this, this career management, development, you know, advancement, thinking about how do we live our lives and careers alongside family. Um, and so soon after that, Parents at Work was born and we sort of carved out of our HR consulting practice a specialised service to support parents returning to the workplace. And, and it was so needed. You know, it's just amazing when you think about even the fact that you had to go through all of that decision making and realise on your own that there wasn't, you know, likely to be a career you could follow and have a family in the way that you wanted to have that so I think that's going to resonate for a lot of our listeners and I loved the fact that you were so brave then and you said I know we worked on managing those women out you know that was the way it was done way back then was either you come back full-time or there is no job for you and mm. I think a lot of women and one of the things I remember you said to me many years ago which I thought was so powerful and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to quote you correctly and and please correct me if I don't but we had so many women that actually felt so grateful they had a job mm -hmm. and they felt so guilty when they left the office and they would take a lower pay cut because they were just grateful for having a job and I can remember you saying something around it's not they shouldn't be you know being underpaid effectively for what they're doing and and many women will say to you well now I work a part-time job but I get paid for a part-time job but effectively I do a full-time job because I'm so grateful I actually have a job. Yes I think there's still a lot of that about um, and I think there's also this just word and um, it's not a great one. It's very diminishing. And it's like, um, well, I'm just part time mm -hmm. um, or I'm just going back. So, mm. so it really becomes a conversation around justifying why less is acceptable. Yeah. And, and I think for many women, that's how they've come to terms with the fact that they are missing out. Yes. Because what's the alternative? Um, go and take the fight on? Well, we know how that's worked out for some high-profile people who took the fight on. Mm. Um, and many women have been busy managing their families. They don't want to take that kind of argument on. And a lot of will say, well, my work's not worth that much to me. So mm. I'm. this is what I'm going to settle for. And I, it's that that makes me sad. Because yes. I think we only get one life. Mm. You know, how do we want to live it um, in a diminished capacity where, you know, we don't feel like we can be our best self because there are so many um, yeah, systems in place that don't support us to be great. And what a loss to the workplace. Yeah. So uh, we just touched on it there, but I know you had three kids, including twins. And I expect um, you and I are a lot the same, but I do have, quite a lot of people say to me how do you do it all mm -hmm. and and I suspect you know we were talking in the green room before we started you know there are very few people that can manage to have a business such as we do plus run a very busy active family life so what makes it work for you what are your tips for managing you know a very busy household plus you know a full-on mm -hmm. business that you run successfully mm -hmm. well um I don't do it all and I think that's the key. Um, I think I've learned along the way to really be um, much more discerning about how I use my time and what matters most to me and my family, um, who, who needs what from me and what can I do um, to fulfil that need in a way that isn't going to overreach me. It doesn't mean I get it all right, but I think 
those that know me and are close <laughs> to me would know I do live a, a really busy and, and um, often chaotic life because I love it to be rich and full and I'm okay with that. But they would also know that there's lots of things that I just don't worry about um, that I've learned to not try and perfect. Um, to let go. Can you give me an example of one of those? Uh, look, I, I do think that I've tried to raise an independent family. Um, so, you know, kids that are, you know, asked to pull their weight in the home, you know, that are responsible for getting their lunches ready, who, you know, I try not to do all the thinking about how they're going to get, you know, to school and back again now that they're a bit older. I've got um, kids in high school now, one's still in primary. Um, and so having a sense that we're a family unit that's busy and that we all have to play our part in that and I'm not there to make you know to do their job for them so to yeah. speak in that. I am so pleased you said that because we are exactly the same and my brother's got younger kids than me and I'm like Mark you've got to get this going now you absolutely and we had I think Amberly was making her lunches at six or seven we mm -hmm. underpay them on pocket money according to people they laugh they go you pay them what I'm like they're gonna earn it but they have to make their beds, they have to unload dishwashers, they have to fold clothes, they put clothes away, they have to strip mm. their bed. And it's, it's the same point. If you want to keep up your sporting life, which is very busy, mm. and everything else that needs to happen, you guys need to be involved. And I think that will make them better adults because they're actually going to know when they move out of home how much work there is required, as much as they don't necessarily agree with me entirely at the moment. No, no. There's lots of negotiating, lots yeah. of arguing in our house for all of those things. None of my friends have to do that, Mum. <laughs> I know. That's a common phrase, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're part of a family and realising that they have a role to play. And, you know, the same with my husband, he does an awful lot and we, we've we decided to take it on ourselves and, you know, we, you know, since our kids started school, we haven't had any extra help around, you know, nannies or, or additional caregivers um, around holiday time even, um, nor do we have cleaners or any of the other things. And because we wanted to think about how we could own and divide and conquer that. And actually, I think we've done a good job on that. And it's not to say that I don't wish many times, oh, we should just get that cleaner. Um, but um, what it's made is, I guess, an appreciation for each other and what we bring to that and that there is very much a passing of the baton between us on all of those jobs. Mm -hmm. And we do move from one job to the next with a lot of it. But as I said, as a family unit, it's... Um, and I think that has made us, yeah, appreciate our time more, mm. actually, versus if we'd outsourced a lot of that, funnily enough, which sounds mm. odd. But um, what it does in that moment is make you think about where's my time needed next um, and to what extent is it needed and how important is that? And that's my point about the letting go piece again. We, mm. we don't have this perfectly beautiful, lovely house that looks great all the time. Yeah, and that's okay. And that's I'm, fine. Though, I do have the cleaner and I am very grateful for my cleaner. And I, um, yes, I'm very, but what, uh, one of the things that came out of COVID when we locked down was the kids got to learn, yes. you have to clean the toilet. And yes. that's what happens. And aren't you lucky you have those cleaners that come every couple of weeks or whatever. Um, so I thought that was a great learning experience for them, you know, when they used to whinge about putting their stuff up on top of the bed. So the cleaners could come up like, you are very lucky. That's all you have to do in this spot. Yeah. And I think the other thing is recognising, because we don't have any family in Sydney, um, other than uh, my sister, who's busy raising her own family. Mm. Um, but I think we've also had to really rely, I guess, on that village of yes. family and friends. And um, that give, that beautiful give and take that mm. you're able to do in a community to say, well, we're not alone mm. in this. There are plenty of other families around us doing this. How can we help each other? Yes. So there's lots of that that goes on. And, and, and I'm a great believer in givers get. So mm. what do you love? And I always hear your passion when you're talking. What do you love about what you do and what frustrates you? <laughs> uh, look, I think from uh, I feel personally um, very privileged to be doing something I love. So, you know, I have a... a said early on in this podcast, I have a great interest and passion in um, people 
doing something they really enjoy. So this sense of having a really interesting and fulfilling career. Um, and when I add, I use this term career well-being, mm. and it to me that means being able to, you know, live your best productive life from a work perspective, but do it in a well way, yes. <laughs> which isn't always easy. So to me, that's about really thinking about what's your calling, um, what are you passionate about, what do you care about doing, what do you love, um, what gives you energy, I think is so critical. Um, and really thinking about, okay, well, you know, how can I do more of that, whatever that might be, and aligning that really with your values. Mm. And so for me, I went, oh, I really, early on, I really love career management. You know, how can I do more of that within my HR career? Um, what would that look like if I could combine my skills? And so perhaps not such a leap to then imagine that I was running return to work programs, mm. um, which used all my training experience and career management experience, not a leap and not hard to imagine that we now run lots of career leadership programs, particularly mm. for women. So I've really been able to leverage something that I found in my busy HR career, because as you know, it doesn't just include career management type mm. of work. Um, I was able to really carve out, that's my interest area. How do I leverage that? Um, and, I, and I get energy from that. So how do I do more of that? And how might I um, you know, invest in that? So I think um, doing what I love uh, is a privilege and gives me great energy. What frustrates me? Um, I think the lack of progress around... We've been talking about this a long time, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. Um, I think it is still um, desperately disheartening that, for example, we are on something that I've got a real pet issue on, which is the fact that we've got a paid parental leave scheme in Australia that is 10 years old now. We were late to the party on having a government scheme. And for 10 years, it's languished, really mm. doing nothing. And there's no progressive plan at this point that I'm aware of um, to in any way, um, yeah, progress and modernise that. And I think that's extremely frustrating. Um, I think the fact that women still um, are penalised, you know, consciously and unconsciously by employers because of the caring responsibilities um, continues to be a big challenge. And we saw that play out with COVID. Many women went to, you know, um, had to take on the responsibilities of homeschooling, um, all of those things. And because women generally do, not in all cases, obviously, but um, often do the bulk of the caring load, um, women were once again forced to really prioritise that last year. And mm. I saw women's careers or workplaces, um, you know, be challenged by that. And they felt challenged by that. Um, and increasingly men now experiencing that. So I'm frustrated for men that mm. they're not able to perhaps um, step up and into the caring responsibilities that they would like to. I think there's a lot more men that would like to take parental leave, um, play a bigger, um, more important part in their children's lives, but feel that career or work comes first because they're the primary earner and that's what's expected of them. Mm. And so I'm very frustrated by the fact that we have these cultural identities Norms. for mums and dads that really pigeonholes them. And, you know, I continue to push for change in that space. Good. Thank goodness you're doing that. So paint a picture of exactly how you help your clients in this parent at work, parents, parents at work space. I'll do yeah. that again. Yeah. Well, I guess when I started parents at work, I thought, right, um, what's the best thing that I can do to um, create change? How do I make the return to work experience better? for in particular women, but also men as they increasingly move to take leave. Um, I can either work with the individual themselves or I can work with the workplace. And I started in the early days really focused on individuals and what I could do for individual parents going through this transition. Um, but it became apparent to me that it was going to take a very long time to make those experiences mm -hmm. better one by one um, by working at that individual level. And it really wasn't going to in any way 
necessarily make it easier for the next parent that followed in their workplace. And so I quickly felt that the best way to support change in this area was to work with workplaces. Mm. So that's what we do. Um, we work with organisations to build education programs that helps people at the first and foremost go through, you know, parental leave transition and feel supported through that with the right sort of education programs and tools, both for managers and individuals. Um, and then more broadly, we've looked to develop what we call work and family solutions because there are so many people in a workplace that obviously belong to a family. Yes. I think we all belong to a family. So family and how we live our lives outside of work is really important. So we now offer career, family and wellbeing programs for workplaces that aim to align on those three things that we think are really important to help people thrive at work and at home. And so that's what we do. That is so telling and I think it's worth noting too because I think you and I are part of what is known as the sandwich generation and I'm personally in the situation now where I still have kids, they're all at high school but just and I also have a mother who has some some significant health in, in I'm going to spit that again. So um, I think that's, a, you've raised a really good point there Emma because you know, I think we, you and I are known as the sandwich generation. And not only do we often have caring responsibilities for our children, we often have caring responsibilities for our parents as well. And I know that's my personal situation at the moment where my mother has some health issues that are going to be longer term and going to require more of my time and attention. And I have a sister who's in Melbourne and a brother who's in Canada. So, you know, it really is going to fall to me for sort of her more day-to-day -day needs. Having said that, I've got a father who's incredibly um, capable and has really, really stepped up. So I think the fact that you're just trying to broaden the conversation to it's about families, it's not just about children, because I think often we have people who have either chosen not to or have not been able to have children often feeling very left out of this conversation when mm. they have a significant role to play as well. So that's great. Let's move now to the impacts of COVID to your space at Parents at Work. What changes have you seen as a result of COVID? Well, I think the most notable change is that now caring responsibilities, you know, what goes on behind the scenes in a family's home life is no longer invisible. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, COVID made it completely visible. And the fact that, you know, work, you know, came barged into our homes, it was probably already in our homes, obviously mm. on our devices, but the fact that work needed to be carried out um, at home meant families suddenly were living literally um, around the, their workplace and, and their, you know, all their colleagues were on Zoom watching what was happening in the background. And so I think that's been um, brilliant. I think the visit, you can't recognise a problem often until you can see it, mm. unfortunately. You might hear about it and you might empathise with that from afar, but there's nothing like suddenly seeing it right in front of your eyes <laughs> to really bring to the forefront of, oh, that looks hard. Yeah. Um, and so COVID has absolutely helped workplaces recognise that caring responsibilities are huge and they are not behind closed doors anymore. They are absolutely out in the open. They're not going to go back in a box. No. And from here on in, we need to think about how do we help people, as I said, thrive at work and at home because from here on in, we're hybrid working, whether we like oh, it or not. I've said that so many times. If you think we're going back to the way it was before, I think you're sadly mistaken. Hybrid is going to be the way of the future, and, and that's at best. You know, um, it, That is highly likely that that's where mm -hmm. we're going to end up. And we're but, seeing that already. You know, People are resisting coming back to work. That's right. And I, so I think there's a great opportunity, and I'm pleased to see that workplaces are... Um, more empathetic to that they see that and then yes okay well we now see that problem and what are we going to do about it so I think that's a really great question that I'm hearing from lots of employers and um, we have seen you know huge uptake of employer interest in what we do um, we've grown significantly in that time which is great um, and so we're thinking about how do we galvanize those workplaces now to go exactly that how do we become 
a more family-friendly organisation um, because we know that's good for our people. It's going to be good for our business if it's good for our people. Um, and so how do we make this work? Um, what can we be doing to, yeah, adjust to this change so that we all win from it? And I think what is interesting here is you and I have both built businesses that incorporated that. Yes. Through necessity for ourselves, but also for through people. So, you know, uh, you had a very flexible workplace. You deliberately, proactively attracted women who wanted balance of life. And I can remember one lady saying to me early on, uh, she said, it's about being able to do great work and mm -hmm. still be able to be a great mum. And I thought that was really telling and, and it hasn't existed. I, you know, those, I, I feel for those women who, you know, leave and race out the door to go and get the kids and get fined if they're late to pick them up from daycare and they feel guilty because they're running out the door and they feel like they're being um, under, you know, that their contribution is undervalued. Uh, when what's probably happening is they're going home and doing lunches and dinners and all that sort of stuff and then logging on later at night to mm. try and get done what they feel that they've missed so that they don't fall behind. So what do you think the government could be doing to help more in this space? Yeah, look, I, I do think that one of the things that Australia lacks is a national work and family framework. Um, so what does it look like if we combined work and family well you know what the were what would be the kind of things that we would be prioritizing as Australians um, as individuals as communities as workplaces um, and if we don't have a vision for how we want to see or a framework for how we want to see work um, and family combined then really what we're doing is we're kind of leaving that up to um, general public you know um, and as a result what we see is a lot of muddling through it and so if you go and you ask any new mothers group and you have your group of mums sitting around and all chatting um, and you ask each of let's say there's 10 of them you are likely to get 10 different responses around how their employer handled and supported their parental leave, whether they got parental leave pay or they didn't, and every single one of them are likely to have a different arrangement. So we have this really myriad of experiences, um, often luck of the draw as mm. to where you work. Um, and the whilst there has been obviously improvement, you know, obviously the last 10 years, we do now have a statutory paid parental leave scheme. It is one of the least generous amongst all OECD nations. Um, and we do have the right to return flexibly, but it's all rather loose um, in terms of how that really gets, um, let's say, overseen. So really it's up to you and your employer to somehow negotiate a favourable, you know, flexible work arrangement return. But really at the end of the day, the employer has the final say. Um, and so as a result, it does mean that there is a myriad, as I said, of um, work and family policy that exists. There's no standards. Um, and that makes it hard for workplaces because they go, well, what should we be doing when we yes. have someone go on leave and come back? Or what happens if somebody has a slightly older child and, you know, needs some flexibility? How will we respond to that? And it's really done on a very much case-by-case -case basis. There's no really recourse if that doesn't work out very well either because really the next point of call is Fair Work Australia or the Human Rights Commission. That's a big leap yeah. um, for anyone to really be escalating fast um, up that chain and that's a very slow and cumbersome process. So um, we think that we need a national work and family agenda, a framework positioning for workplaces around what good looks like and what would be some minimum standards that we would like to expect from employers mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean you know a, a whole lot of expense that doesn't necessarily mean we dictate to employers to pay parental leave but as you and I have seen um, Natasha running small teams um, we're small business owners um, we've been able to implement flexibility and that hasn't cost us any money nope. so so much of this is about an attitude um, and appreciating the ways that work can be done and being creative and innovative around that. Um, and I think the rest of the workplace is sort of caught up with that argument. We can see many, many 
workplaces embracing that kind of thinking, but perhaps in, in actual fact, the government is behind. So, you know, I'd love to see uh, a public-private partnership, you know, government and business sitting down to think about how do we combine work and family policy and come up with a great vision for how we would like to see the future of work play out. Um, yeah, I think work. that is absolutely critical. And I think your point around government is particularly uh, relevant given, you know, my firm belief is we should have 50-50 split in government. You know, society is roughly a 50-50 split. And there is a very good reason why we don't have many female politicians. And, mm. and part of it is that that life as it's been constructed at the moment is not particularly conducive to mothers um, and or child-wearing um, parents. No. And, and so I think, you know, we've got a fundamental shift that needs to happen there. And I think your point around policies is incredibly relevant too, because I think there's a lack of knowledge of what the obligations are for both the employer, but also the employee. And let's think about it from what you were talking about. Generally, most of the power sits with the employer and most employees don't necessarily have the negotiation skills or the confidence to sort of actually understand what their opportunities are and, and what their rights are in this space. So they just typically go along with whatever the, the employer says. And not just what the employer says, what the government says. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. So there's been this sort of, you know, um, I think somewhat apathetic response to, well, that's just what the government does around yeah. belief. So that, that's it, you know, can't yeah. change it. Too hard. Too hard, and and as I said, um, unlike perhaps other movements of minority groups within workplaces, that we've really seen champion change. Um, I'm a huge admiration for the LGBTI community that have done such an amazing job mm. in the last ten years of really um, advocating for. Mm hearing their voice heard and the proudness that you see of organisations that have really embraced mm. making sure LGBTIQ policy is, you know, at, at the forefront of everything they're thinking about and doing. Um, I'd really love to see that too mm. for families. And, you know, generally when we think about what it means to, as I said, be um, a family, so how can we have that same level of advancement where we really demand better family policies from government and workplaces that um, we know will ensure that we have more inclusive um, gender equal workplaces. Mm. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you were uh, involved in this. Um, so I was at the, uh, I'm an ex uh, professional consulting employee and I was at the offices of Deloitte and on their coffee table as you waited in the waiting room there was uh, I think it was the fathers and work and it was a very glossy brochure that showcased you know some of their very senior male executives who were combining family and their careers really well and I thought isn't that refreshing it wasn't what I was expecting to see on the table as I waited in the foyer. Um, tell me what you know about that or what your involvement in that was. Yes, so Deloitte have been a great partner of ours for, for many years and I would say would be one of the most um, progressive around their family policy um, in Australia. And really they noted that, um, yes, we've got lots of women going on parental leave and, and coming back again, but Equally, we have lots of men that work here that have babies. What's happening to their careers and what, what's happening for them taking parental leave? Um, and really recognising that there wasn't an equity in that story. And so how do we make sure that every parent in their workplace um, feels able to take leave, um, is treated equally, um, is paid equally to take that leave um, and to... Uh, really fundamentally recognise that that's what equality actually looks like, you know. So um, they were very good at advancing parental leave equality early on um, and they do have equal 18 weeks leave for both men and women and they have abolished the use of primary and secondary carer. Um, oh. And so they felt um, that for, I guess, not just about having generous policies in place, because we know that doesn't always work, 
but you need to show that it's okay to take that leave. Mm. And so they um, very deliberately went about telling the stories of men that had taken that leave um, loudly and proudly to show that it's okay that you do that here. And we, in fact, want you to do that here. Um, so I think that that sends a very powerful message because we know it's not only about having a great paid parental leave policy. You've got to give men permission as well as women to mm -hmm. take that leave and to say that your career will not be penalised mm. if you choose to do that. So that brings me to another question around what if you are a business owner or a manager and you suspect that one of your employees is struggling with that uh, family care aspect or that they would ideally like to work a different way, what should you do? Oh, look, I always think um, ask because if you want to, um, and, you know, I, I relate to this as a small business owner myself, we have um, 10 employees and and numerous other contractors as well that work with us. Um, if you can ask and relate and hear what's going on in your people's lives and think, well, what can I do to actually ease that burden? Because if I can do that, not only will it help them, but it will help our business too. Mm -hmm. And so this whole piece, as I said, I keep coming back to, how do we help people thrive at work and at home? Because they're not separate. Mm. We don't live our lives separately. They're all entwined. And especially now that we work more from home, as I said. So I think always saying, you know, how are you doing? You mm. look like you're struggling. How's it all going at home? Um, anything I can do to make mm. that, ease that burden for you in any way. And even if that employee says, no, no, it's all good. I'm sorry. I'm trying to really keep it mm. together. Um to be able to go, well, that's okay. And, you know, we all have those, you know, ups and downs and just letting you know that I'm here if you need me. Um, that can make all the difference because yeah. they just want to know that you're there, you're there to help them and that you, um, you care and that you're interested. And you may not be able to solve for their problem, but the fact that you've asked, people... Um, appreciate that just like any human being appreciates when they look like they're in trouble or need some help that someone actually bothers to ask are you okay yeah um, I think, think that's so true and the other thing that I would say there too is I think it's about us and the onus is on us to be authentic leaders I will quite often say if I'm not coping you know yeah. there is not this facade that I've got it all together all of the time because I don't you know no. uh, and I think it's really important that we um, as leaders share that it's not always perfect. We do muck it up uh, so that people are given permission to go, well, that's okay. It's yeah. Not just me. Yep. Because the worst thing you can do is have people, I think, bury that because that is going to show up somewhere in your business, mm. right? In their attitude, in their work and the quality, et cetera. And so having an active interest in how well your people are feeling is not only good for them, it's, it is absolutely vital for your team um, and your business and them, it, it being able to thrive. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm the first to call out when it's going terribly pear-shaped, <laughs> whatever that might be yeah. for me with work. Um, it wasn't great this morning. Um, I had to take one of my sons for a COVID test and then the dog's sick and oh, no. I needed to do something else. And uh, um, so that we, we have these days where suddenly you think where where did that storm come from mm. <laughs> you know that wasn't on the horizon last night how is this all played out today um and really needing to recognize as I said that life doesn't often go to plan and it's how we choose in that moment to respond and mm. that we have a choice in that minute to lose it and yeah. um and not show up the way that we wish to or we can go, oh, that didn't go to plan. That's not what I was hoping for today. Um, what am I going to do about it? Mm. Um, so I think that react versus respond is such an important thing to always remember um, as a leader of any business because your employees are watching you and um, they will react to the tone that you set. Yes. Lead from the top, lead from the top, and uh, lead, um, and just be an authentic leader. I think is what 
that's so important there. So what about legal obligations for businesses? Because I think a lot of businesses are unaware of what some of their legal obligations are in this space. What advice would you have there? Yeah, look, um, I've certainly, obviously being in HR like you, um, have seen things go, um, as I said, pear-shaped quite quickly in um, some regards when people are going on leave and coming back again. And generally, nine times out of ten, it's because there was an expectation from the employee and an expectation from the business or the manager that do not match. And normally the conflict shows up when those expectations suddenly clash and there's a realisation of, hold on, that's not what I thought. That's what not what you said. Mm-hmm. That's not what I was expecting. And I think um, to recognise that it's not uncommon to actually have, you know, misaligned expectations because, as I just said, life's changing pretty quickly day in, day out for people, as is business pressures. And so what might have been a fair and reasonable and understood expectation you know, a few months ago, suddenly isn't the case anymore, either for an individual or a workplace. And so um, conflict tensions flare up when that is um, that comes to a head, when that expectation suddenly isn't what people thought. And I think that's important to recognise because in that moment, it can feel like um, if you're the business owner, well, what's wrong with them? I thought I, I've been so reasonable and I've been so fair. And what? That person doesn't want to return now on those arrangements? Well, that's not fair. And, you know, off, off we go in our head, um, really telling ourselves a narrative that often is um, quite blaming of the other. And it can get personal pretty quickly. Mm. And I think this is about recognising that actually in many ways this isn't personal. It's about... You have an expectation, they have an expectation, and now it's not aligned. Mm. And so how do we recognise and, and actually call that out? Oh, I can't, I had this expectation, but, you know, you're now explaining this. Ah, oh, okay, well, we might need to now regroup because exactly. it was different, right? So let's have a think about how we make that work. So I think in that moment it's really important to acknowledge that the expectations are different and that's okay, um, but we'll need to regroup. We'll need to reset and let's, let's start afresh with whatever that might be. Um, and I do think that if you can tackle it that way, you're very quickly going to take the conflict out of it because mm. people hear, okay, let's sit down and start again. What, what yeah. would we like here? Um, so I always say that that's my, my first call for this because the minute you don't do that and you let it escalate, it gets worse and worse and worse. And... and then you can find really how you've dealt with it. And there is an expectation legally that you are someone who's returning to um, from parental leave or has caring responsibilities of children under 18, um, that you can and will and should facilitate some kind of flexibility towards that person if your business can do so. And it's really up to you as an employer to say, well, this can't work because of X, Y and Z. And you are required to give them notice um, with 21 days written notice as to why it wouldn't work. Hmm. Now, in, in many instances, if that was to be challenged further, you'd really need to prove, well, did you trial it? Yeah. You know, how did it go? You know, to make an arbitrary, this can't work, yeah. it, it's got to be pretty clear that it won't work. And I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you know, bad internet and all of that, maybe that washed. But I think the fact that we've all had the biggest, you know, work from home experiment globally, um, it would be very difficult to sort of say, well, no, I'm sorry, if you wanted to do your work from home on a Tuesday between 12 and 5, that won't be possible. You know, I I just don't think that stacks up anymore. So I think employers will need to think very carefully about that. Um, And I think if we are, as employers, are expecting our people to work flexibly when we need it to meet the customer's demand um, or to, you know, our business continuity plans require that because we can no longer work in the office. Sorry, you need to work at home today. Leave it with you. Um, Then we cannot expect that when they ask for some on the other hand that, you know, that 
if you're not going to give it, they're not really going to want to give it back, are they? So how do we have um, a relationship that I think is truly flexible where we um, are able to sit down and think about what's the smartest way to get this done yeah. for everyone involved um, in a really efficient way, then I think you can't go wrong. It's so true. And I think that the other bit that people are missing is let's flip this. I think this has been the greatest opportunity to work out an untapped workforce that have previously self-excluded themselves from the market because they didn't think it was possible. And now yeah. it is possible. So I think there's a whole talent pool of yeah. employees that employers have typically missed out on because they couldn't see it working. And that is now an opportunity. You know, you have people who live and work in the country um, that are very capable for doing the job but choose to work in the country. Well, now you can access that skill and talent. Yeah, we've had, you know, two employees work from Byron Bay now. Lucky them. Yes, one of my <laughs> teams moved to Belgium. Uh, <laughs> It's very normal. So let's explore a case study now that uh, obviously keeping names quiet, but the, of an organisation, unless you're happy to share the organisation, because I think it's great promotion for them when they do do it, that have done this really well or are ahead of the curve in your view. Mm. Look, I often see that it's the businesses that are more agile that do this well. Um, and often they're not necessarily that big. So, you know, sometimes we think that it's only the big employers that can afford to have amazing family-friendly workplace policies or can accommodate such flexibility. Um, but actually it's some of those businesses that are under 100 people that I see doing amazing things. Um, and, you know, generally that is, you know, similar to how we run our business, that, um, you know, choose your own days of work the office is there, come in when you want to collaborate with people. Um, this is the team meeting we'd love you on um, and we're making that virtual so it's accessible for everyone. You know, so really who are treating their people like adults, mm -hmm. I think is the common denominator. Um, and really thinking, as I said, not around how do we put rules and restrictions in so that we... Um, have this tight framework so we all know what days we're in and we all know what's happening here and there. But actually workplaces that say, well, that yes, that's important because we need to obviously have some open lines of communication and there are some, some roles that can't or aspects of roles that can't be done from home. However, let's think at the next level. Let's think strategically about this. Right, how can we make this work for us? What's the good that um, we can leverage from this? So those workplaces that are really proactive in thinking about, we don't really care where people work so much or when they work, but we want these outcomes. Mm. This is what we're about doing as a business. This is what we want to deliver to our customers and um, you know, our, our, on our product, et cetera. And any way that our people can do that, we want to free them up to do that. So that's quite a different attitude from workplaces that are much more structured, process-orientated systems that really require people to be there. And I, look, I obviously don't want to diminish workplaces that need that. I mean, look, look at our hospitals. You couldn't go to a hospital and turn up and not have a nurse there. That would be problematic. Um, or schools and so on. So we, we need to appreciate that there are um, roles and occupations where physically we need to be there. But I, I would even say that the health system would say there has been huge advantages made. Telehealth. Yeah, telehealth. Look at it. Who'd have thought? Mm. You know, um, my doctor would do more telehealth appointments now than they would in person mm -hmm. and would say it's just so much more effective as a result. Um, and that's made, you know, the ability to quickly get great healthcare into regional communities possible for the first time properly. So I think we need to, to say that the organisations that are really taking advantage of this um, are going to excel. They are going to be the winners in this. Um, and the organisations that do the opposite pull on um, their workforce to, you know, take back control over how and when work is done will be the losers. And, and for those workplaces I, I say you know don't forget Kodak don't forget Blockbuster mm. you know they were once giant brands that are no longer here 
because of those kind of attitudes. Mm. So I think it's really important that we think about, um, you know, how are we showing up in this new age of, of flexible working? What are we doing to embrace this new future of work and technology? And what's happening out there? How can we be part of it? As opposed to thinking, you know, internally, how do we get back control? Um, so we try and, you know, bed this all down. And I do get that that's often a reaction when a business feels under threat mm -hmm. to really take back control. Um, but I think now more than ever, we need to be asking ourselves and our people, how can we be more innovative? Um, you know, I think there are a few businesses, as I said, you asked me to name one, I'll call out Beaumont People. I think they do a great job of that. And, you know, uh, that particular business, I think, I'm um, not sure how many employees they have now, but I know um, at one stage that was sort of around the 60 marks so and not a large employer, but I think they've done a fantastic job at being able to show um, the recruitment industry, you know, how to do it differently and uh, have, you know, employees working from all over the shop and have really started to think much more innovatively around how, um, yeah, how they can promote flexible and i love that you've called out beaumont people because i think as an industry segment that was typically very traditional yes there was only one way you could do it and i think the two things that have become absolutely key and i think that businesses are still struggling with is uh, uh, this whole model requires a certain level of trust you need yes. to trust that your employees will be output focused will get results and we've typically not managed that way you know, I, I've often said, you know, I don't care whether you, where you do your work. I don't care how long it takes you as long as it's good quality. You know, mm -hmm. I've had other organisations that said you can surf all morning and work all afternoon as long as we get the results. It really doesn't matter if you're more efficient and more happy. That's a good result for me. So I think there is a mindset change, which I think businesses in Australia, um, not everyone is there yet. And I think as we move into the new COVID world of work on the longer term side of things, there's going to be some work required in that space from what I'm seeing anyway. So what do you see are the benefits, Emma, for getting this balance right for the employee, but also the business? Yeah, I'm so glad you raised trust because it is all about trust. It's, a, it's this mutual agreement that we're trying to do something great here, aren't we? You know, it's this. And having that common, um, yeah, purpose that we, that we are really tight and we wrap around that and recognising that there are lots of ways to skin a cat, lots of different ways to achieve that key goal and purpose. Um, and often, you know, experimenting with different ways to achieve that goal is what makes, you know, the next magic thing happen. And so I think if we can form um, clarity and trust around this is this is what we're aiming for, tight around that, purposeful around that, value aligned around that, um, then I think we have got the recipe for success. And if we are sitting here in any kind of doubt around trust with our people, um, then I, I, there's a much deeper question to be asked. Whether they're working flexibly or not, if you don't trust your people mm. to deliver, then that's a performance issue. And you're not hiring right either. Um, you're not hiring right. That's a problem for you. That's a problem for them. Um, and that's, you know, regardless, I, flexibility is not the, the greater question here. The greater question is what do you need to do to build confidence and trust in your people if you do not have it? Mm, good point. So what do you see as your vision for the workplace of the future and what could it or should it look like? Yeah, well, I do think that um, hybrid working will be here to stay. Um, I do think that people um, do get energy from other people. We are a human you know, race of social beings. Um, that wonderful saying of no man is an island. Mm. Um, and so we do need to create opportunities for people to come together in meaningful ways. So there, I do believe there is still a future for the office, a space, whatever the office means and whatever that might look like, um, but a place where people can meet and come together to make magic, I think is going to be needed and wanted. But I equally think that um, technology has allowed 
wonderful work to occur mm. at whatever venue at whatever time of day or night and why would you want to try and stranglehold that by saying well you can only have great ideas and do great work between nine and six mm. <laughs> you know yeah. why would we want to do that um so I do think that work is going to be one of those things that happens all the time and I think the challenge for that will be how do we become really great self-leaders you know because otherwise we don't have a switch off button so I think the ability to make sure your people are having the right amount of downtime between great work and great ideas is critical it you know it's not uncommon for me if I'm in the office and there's a few people in fact I did it yesterday it's probably about 3.30 and I said, I think I'm done. Like, yeah. <laughs> like today's been a busy day. Like it was just, <laughs> that's enough for today. You don't yeah. need to do any more. And I'm leaving. <laughs> so I, I, I think um, just remembering what is our capacity to, to deliver great things. Like a great athlete, we cannot deliver great things every single day without rest and rejuvenation. So how do we make sure that we are well fed and well watered to um, yeah know when we've done our best work in a day and to hang it up and pick it up tomorrow. Yeah, and know that that's okay. And I think that's a great example of you leading authentically. And I think the other comment I'd make there is one of the things we're observing is because we've moved home is that employees are unsure of when to turn off the computer yes. um, and, and those hours are blowing out. So it's around trying to put some... Um, boundaries about when you're on and when you're off just because you can log on to your computer at 11 o'clock at night doesn't mean you should equally there are some people that do their best work at that point and so there's that whole other argument of hang on now because we're not confined till that 8 30 to 5 and we know that George is brilliant creatively at 11 o'clock at night and he's quite happy to work then obviously there might be some award obligations there you might have to manage around overtime but um the devil is in the detail but why wouldn't we let george loose when he's at his most brilliant mm. um and you know and other people it might be different times of the day exactly and i, I guess I'd, as we start to wrap up I'd, I'd leave you with this point that has been really successful in our business is we have downtime days and those downtime days is when an employee puts up their hand and says, I need a downtime day. Don't contact me tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm just taking a moment. I'm catching up on everything. I need to be prioritising and rethinking and just reorganising and whether it's life admin or whether it's a whole bunch of emails or things they haven't got to or whatever, that they just need time out to actually think about that stuff. So it's really thinking and rejuvenating time um, and so that means they don't show up to any meetings they don't have to reply to emails and the team is not allowed to send that person an email that day mm. and so that has given people back peace of mind actually um, and it's something we implemented during COVID and, and we'll continue with this year because it's been so successful. I think that's a great idea. And that's a great example of that well-being piece that you touched on at the beginning. So I want to leave you with one more question. I'm always fascinated by this because I think it, it speaks volumes. Who has been your best boss to date and what made them your best boss? Ah, right. Uh, well, interestingly, perhaps unusually so as well, that um, the most defining bosses in my life have all been women so I've learned so much I think I've had five female bosses in my time and only one male in that um, and I think there is still a couple of them that I stay in touch with today and they are my you know great mentors and friends and one of the greatest things that I, I learned from one in particular is this beautiful way of no matter what's playing out for you internally to just have a stillness about you you know a, a calmness about you that says listen first before you do anything and so um whenever I'm feeling slightly stressed um because my profile would be someone who's more likely to talk more actually yes. when I'm stressed um, I try to channel her and think calmly what would she do right now um, 
and actually to just stop and actually listen to what's happening around me on that particular drama I might be worried about. Um, and so I'm, I'm not always great at it. As I said, that's not really my um, personality type, but it's been hugely grounding. Um, someone who's got huge humility for what she does and has achieved in her career to date. Are you um, happy to share her name? Because I'm always keen to do a shout out because I don't think always these bosses know how impactful they are or how grateful we are to them. Yes, yes. And her name is Kristen Miller and she's a, a senior HR lead at Westpac. Thank you, Kristen. We love that you've done that for Emma and helped Emma be the wonderful person she is. So on that note, Emma, as always, I learned something from you and I know our listeners have too. Thank you for being such an incredible partner and also friend of the Employee Matters team. If people would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way to contact you? Yes, so well, I'll give my email, Emma yes. at parentsatwork.com.au or you can check out our website, parentsatwork.com.au. Fantastic. Now, if you enjoyed this interview, you'll also enjoy our interview with Kate Carnell, who is Australia's small business and family ombudsman. Uh, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe. I'm Natasha Hawker, and remember, your employees really do matter. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode of Employees Matter podcast with Natasha Hawker. For episode notes and other resources, please visit employeematters.com.au forward slash podcast. While you're there, you might like to subscribe for future episodes so you can continue to thrive during the COVID-19 crisis. Please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends, team and business network. This podcast was proudly brought to you by Ring Central.